We are going to be taking a little bit of a break from the Old Testament today, and we're going to jump into the Gospels. So we're going to be in Matthew and Luke today. We are experiencing as a church, as a country, something that is completely unprecedented in most of our lifetimes. I know for one, I have never had to cancel church multiple weeks in a row for this type of issue. And so we're all dealing with the uncertainty of what it's like to be the church when you cannot gather in the building every single week. So in 1918, the Spanish flu infected one-third of the world's population. That ended up being around 50 million people at the time. And then in 2009 and 2010, more recently, we had the swine flu, which only affected about 0.001% to 0.007% of the population. And now today we are dealing with the coronavirus. And a week ago on Wednesday, the NBA, which is the National Basketball Association, canceled the rest of their season once one of their players tested positive for the coronavirus. And since the NBA made that decision over a week and a half ago, we have seen a domino effect in so many other areas of life. Schools have been closed for the foreseeable future. The NCAA basketball tournament, which is called March Madness, which is a billion dollar event, canceled. Grocery stores are limiting their hours so that every night they can restock. And we are just living in a time of uncertainty. And we, as the Church of Jesus Christ, have never had to address these types of issues, as I said earlier, for most of our lifetime. But I believe it's an opportunity for the Church of Jesus Christ to serve the community, to show compassion, and take care of those who truly need to hear the good news of the gospel. There's a pastor in New York City by the name of John Stark. And he said earlier this week that his prayer is that one day millions of people will be able to say, I was saved during the coronavirus. And so today we're going to be in the gospel of Matthew, excuse me, chapter 25. And then later on, Luke chapter 6. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick? or in prison, and visit you. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, 
you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's a few observations I want to make from this passage in Matthew. First, all people will face judgment. Now, oftentimes when we talk about the judgment of God, we are only talking about those that will die without Christ. And we're regularly telling people that apart from a relationship with Christ, you will experience the judgment of God. But that is not simply true for those that are not in Christ. It's true for everyone. Now we know that if you are in Christ, the Apostle Paul tells us, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But every single one of us, regardless of being a follower of Jesus or not, will face judgment. But the judgment for believers is an evaluation of how much good we have done while we are on earth. And God will evaluate our good works and he will reward us accordingly based on the amount of good we do in the world. But for those that are not in Christ, Romans 8.1 is not true. In fact, it would read just the opposite. Therefore, those that are not in Christ Jesus will receive condemnation. Every thought, every word, every hidden secret in our heart will be exposed in that day. Every single person will face the judgment of God. In this time of uncertainty, we as the church of Jesus Christ have an opportunity to insert the hope and the peace that is only made available through Jesus Christ. When so many people are fearful about what the future holds, even scared of potential death, we can step in and say eternal punishment apart from God is optional. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in what he did for you in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And come, be a part of the kingdom of God. That is the good news that we as believers in Jesus Christ can share in the midst of this virus that is ravaging our country. Wayne Grudem, who is a theologian, he wrote a really thick systematic theology book. And in that book, he talks about four ways that the final judgment is actually a good thing for society. Number one, he says that the final judgment of God satisfies our inward sense of a need for justice in the world. Knowing that God will right every wrong should be great comfort to us. Number two, he also points out that final judgment enables us to forgive others freely. Because we know that God is just and that he is in control, we simply need to forgive people 
freely and allow God to work in his own way when the time comes. Number three, he says that final judgment is also a motivation for wanting to live a righteous life. Now, let me clarify what he means by that. We are not saying that living a righteous life makes you right with God, but rather what we are saying is living a righteous life is motivation for us as believers in Christ because we know that we will be rewarded for all of the good things that we do. So the judgment of God should motivate us to go and do good works in the name of Jesus so that one day when we are in his presence, we will receive the reward due us. And then last but not, not last, but not least, the final judgment of God is a motivator for us to be evangelistic, to communicate the good news of the gospel to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our friends, and to our family members. And we have the opportunity right now to speak truth and hope and peace in the midst of chaos. But number two, what this passage also teaches is that we are to show care for the people of God. Now, oftentimes when people read this text, they think it's talking about the way that we treat all people. But actually this text in Matthew 25 is talking about the way we treat brothers and sisters in Christ, the disciples. So this is a judgment regarding the way brothers and sisters in Christ treat one another. And Jesus says, the goats will be on my left and the sheep will be on my right. Now there's a lot of speculation over why Jesus chose to talk about goats and sheep, but the text is very clear that the sheep will be at the right hand of Jesus. And we know throughout scripture that anytime somebody is seated at the right hand, it is the place of honor. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. In the Old Testament, when Joseph takes his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to come before Jacob, his father, he makes sure that Manasseh is seated at the right hand of Jacob so that Manasseh receives the blessing. Those seated at the right hand are the ones that receive the honor. The sheep in this instance are the ones that will receive the honor. Jesus is talking to the people in this passage and he's telling them that they will be judged on the actions that they took towards the other disciples. You see, the true disciples of Jesus will feed the hungry, clothe those that are naked, visit the sick, take care of those in prison, give water to those who are thirsty. But what this story points out is that it's not simply about doing the good deed but rather the motive behind why you do the good deed. Look at verses 37 through 40 again. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brother, you did it to me. You see, the reason Jesus places the sheep in the seat of honor is because their response was to care for the brothers and sisters in Christ 
with the right attitude and with the right motive. Jesus is saying, of course you'll take care of me, but what about those that are not like me? Will you take care of your brothers and sisters in need? In other words, will you have the right attitude? Will your motive be right when taking care of these? You see, any of us can just naturally do what we're supposed to do. But do we desire to do it with the right attitude and motive? As your pastor, I'll confess, there are many times when I know that I'm supposed to go and visit the sick and pray for church members and spend time with them simply because it's my job. But it should be the desire of my heart to take care of the people of God because I want to with the right attitude and the right motive. And Jesus tells the sheep, the reason you will enter the kingdom of heaven is because you cared for those regardless of whether or not they deserved that care. You just wanted to take care of the people of God because you love the people of God. So in the midst of this virus, we don't know how many weeks we will be apart. It is gonna to fall to us as the church of Jesus Christ here, First Baptist Dothan, to make sure that we care for one another, but that we do it with the proper attitude. But Jesus also makes a remark about those that are on his left. He calls them the goats. And this is what he says beginning in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And did not minister to you. Then he will answer saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The goats are the people that certainly would have taken care of Jesus if he needed to be taken care of. They would have clothed him. They would have given him food. They would have given him water. But what Jesus, saying, what Jesus is saying is, you were only doing that so that you would get the credit for me. But everyone else around you that you were supposed to be taken care of, you weren't concerned about. But what you didn't realize was, the way you treat my other brothers and sisters is a direct reflection of how you will treat me. We must take care of one another in the midst of this uncertainty and do it with the proper attitude and the proper motive. But not only are we to take care of the people of God, we are to show care for all people. I wanna turn over to Luke chapter six and read that passage for us because it illustrates the way that we are to treat everybody else. Luke chapter six, beginning in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. 
Give to everyone who begs from you. And from everyone who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. See, if all we do during this time away is take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we are missing a great opportunity to serve the greater community, to take care of those that are sick, to take care of those that are hurting. But did you know you as a church have already stepped up in two ways thus far during this virus pandemic? Just the other day, our finance team voted to approve waiving tuition for all of our daycare parents that bring their children here. That is two weeks where these parents will not have to carry the burden of covering tuition. And the church here decided that we are going to do that simply because we want to take a burden off of these families. And many of you have also given money and donated snacks to pack 420 bags that went home with students from Fane Elementary School to supplement their appetites in between meals. And over the next weeks and perhaps months, I want all of us to be looking for ways that we as a church can stand in the gap for a community that is in need. This is what the church of Jesus Christ does in times of crises. Jesus challenged the people in this passage, not to just take care of friends and family members, but to take care of those that are your enemies, those who curse you, those who steal from you, those who don't treat you with any respect whatsoever. Because Jesus says, what benefit is it if you only take care of those that already love and support you? There's nothing radical about doing that. There's nothing countercultural about simply taking care of one another who already love and respect one another. There's no salt and light in just providing for the needs of everybody who already has everything taken care of. So this is an opportunity for us to extend our reach into this community, to step out of our comfort zone and take care of those regardless of whether or not they deserve our care. In the third century, there was a great plague that struck Alexandria in Egypt. The bishop at that time was Dionysius, and he and other church leaders began to go out into the community and take care of these people that were dying of the plague. In fact, many of the church leaders themselves passed away because they were taking care of those that were sick. But Dionysius continued to go out daily and care for the people in his midst. 
And in 260, he wrote about what happened. And he talked about the faithfulness and the courage of the church leaders. And here's what he says. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life, serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. The church of Jesus Christ throughout its history has always accepted the challenge of going into the difficult places and being salt and being light. During this pandemic, we will have the opportunity to do the same thing that the church in the third century did. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And it is our job to step into the vulnerable areas of our population and care for those that need it. There's a book that was written a couple of years ago now. I've mentioned it before. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And Rosaria Butterfield, who is the author, gives a scenario at the end of her book, which is kind of like a what-if scenario. And I want to close today with reading an excerpt from that passage in the book. Here's what she says. Imagine a world where neighbors said that Christians throw the best parties in town and are the go-to people for big problems and issues without being invited. Imagine if the children in the neighborhood knew that the Christians were safe people to ask for help when unthinkable agony canvassed their private or family lives. Imagine a world where every Christian knew his neighbors sufficiently to be of earthly and spiritual good. Imagine a world where you know the names of your neighbors and you play cards with them and eat meals together, praying for the children in the neighborhood and lending a helping hand before you are asked. Imagine a world where every Christian knew by name people who lived in poverty or prison, felt tied to them and to their futures, and lived differently because of it. Imagine a world where the power of the gospel to change lives is ours to behold. This is the world that the Bible imagines for us. The gospel coming with a house key is ABC Christianity. Radically ordinary and daily hospitality is the basic building block for vital Christian living. Start anywhere, but do start. Let's pray. God, we are going to have the opportunity over the next few weeks to elevate high the name of Jesus. We would not miss this opportunity. God, don't allow us to miss it. Bring it to the forefront of our mind. If that means that we need to just simply support local restaurants and businesses with our money, if we need to go to our neighbors and say, I'll watch your kids this afternoon so you can get a break, if we need to cut the yard of an elderly person that lives around us, if we have the opportunity to communicate the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ, help us to do so. God, just because we are not able to meet in this building does not mean that we cease being the church of Jesus Christ. So give us boldness, give us courage, and give us passion to care for those around us in this time of need so that you can receive all the praise, glory, and honor. Amen.